you are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 142. Uh, this will be the last episode of what will be, you know, for the regular season. Uh, tomorrow, uh, you know, whenever the whistle sounds tomorrow in Pittsburgh, we are officially in off-season mode, you know, for you 12 lucky teams, uh, you guys will be headed to the postseason. 20 other darlings are headed to the off-season, which means front office shakeups, free agency, draft, so many things to talk about. Obviously, guys, we'll have a lot of ways to fill up the time. Uh, to do this last regular season episode, I was thinking about it, and I was like, there's only one way to do this right. And because he's been so good to me in taking it over, and because you all start your 2017 journey with the Cleveland Browns, with Jared Mueller, I figured, you know what, you gotta bring Jared back here for this one tonight. Well, he's always welcome back anytime, but I think it was just the perfect ending for the 2017 season, the 2017 year. Jared, my man, how you been, bro? Man, I am doing good. So, hey, what has to happen tomorrow for the Browns to make the playoffs? I've I've missed some of the, you know, kind of the magic numbers and the situations. What's going to happen tomorrow so that the are, are the Browns going to make the playoffs here? Or what are we doing? Uh, I think we would need uh, about 10 or 11 nuclear bombs to go off tomorrow, something of that nature. Um, you know, maybe uh, you know, there was the Batman movie that was filmed in High and filmed in Heinz Field. Maybe something of that nature would need to happen. But uh, it's look, it, it, it's it, it's a sad ending to what a season that should have had a little promise with the roster overhaul. Um, you know, the last time we had Giam was right before Thanksgiving. Uh, was Sashi gone by then, or Sashi wasn't gone yet? I don't think I so. Think, right? I think he was not gone just yet. Yes. Yeah, so um, you know, you know, the guy who drafted a bunch of pieces and some guys who look promising. Has been passed on, and um, you know we'll we'll stick around with the guy who's one in thirty-one at this point, Jared. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I'll say one in thirty. Um, even with Pittsburgh setting sitting, you know, significant pieces tomorrow, it, it, can you have any confidence with w- w- the way this product has been going the last three or four weeks that this team could pull out a W? You know, I think it's really tough. You know, is the Steelers' backups better than the Browns' starters? And I. You know, when you look at what winning football means, you really are talking about head coach and quarterback and a decent enough roster. And I think Pittsburgh with Landry Jones, maybe they have a bad quarterback playing. Uh, Mike Tomlin, I wouldn't say he's the best coach in the world, but he's definitely better than than the Browns have. And so Deshaun Kaiser and Hugh Jackson versus Mike Tomlin and Landry Jones and then whatever backups and all of that that are in, I think, you know, this isn't college. You only have, you know, the players that you have. You don't have a 90-man roster. And so some of the starters are still going to play and some of the key backups are still going to play. So I think you can have more confidence that they could possibly win. But I think when you look at the start of the season, 21-18 to loss, a game that many of us thought they should have won, the block punt, touchdown, all of that, um, I don't think you're. we have as much confidence now as we did going into that game or even after that game, and which is really a, a unique way to kind of book end a very pathetic season yeah and i mean honestly if it was even going to even have a shot at a promising year um pittsburgh week one and pittsburgh pittsburgh week 17 probably wasn't the best way to do it uh but i think part of the problem is you know, i wonder if you agree with me is it seems you know the defense which was probably the best part you know throughout the season 
I think these guys now are to the point where they're a little frustrated. I don't think they're, you know, I don't think it's a locker room divide, but I think these guys understand that they absolutely have to be perfect. Otherwise, there's no chance for a W whatsoever. Yeah, and I think you see that with Greg Williams play calling at some level where he's risk adverse kind of in the back end and then he's ultra aggressive on the front end. And so really that is a combination that in general doesn't work. That's not pairing your defense well together. Normally, if you're going to be aggressive up front, you need uh, to have your corners, your safeties up close so that those quick throws aren't there. So the pressure can get there. Greg Williams has really done the opposite pairing, which has been really aggressive up front, trying to win games with Miles Garrett, the front seven, those kind of things, while also kind of protecting that, well, we'll give up a seven to 10 yard play because we don't know if our, our offense can bring us back from any kind of deficit. And so I think it's a really unique combination. I don't agree with it, but you can really see that on the defensive end and just kind of the frustration and, um, not give up in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways feeling like if they give up any points, either their heads drop and they just kind of feel like, man, we might be out of this game already. Yeah, um, I think the telltale sign of that was Sunday with the Miles Garrett uh, interception that was called back. I mean, you, you might as well just, you know, started up the buses and sent everybody home then. Um, it, it was a, you know opportunity where these guys, you know, made a great play and then it was obviously taken away. And, you know, Nassib and Jabril Preppers later in the game, Guys, look, there's zero excuse. You cannot be a yard off. You cannot be a yard <laughs> off sides, especially when you're on the edge. I mean, just look at the stinking freaking football. And, and that just shows me that maybe now, some you know, coaches are being tuned out. These guys aren't totally with it. And look, for a lot of these guys, I mean, you come, you know, you come from college programs where you're accustomed to winning eight, nine, ten games a year, going to bowl games. And now here you are, you know, young, and you, you're on a team that's about to be 0-15. I, I mean, I get it. I do. But at the end of the day, you're getting paid, and those tiniest of mistakes are no longer allowed in any means whatsoever. Yeah, and I think the difference between this Browns team and maybe years past where we could say the team seemed to have given up, I think the difference is hope. You know, and so um, everybody listening who has been around since Lockdown Browns kicked off with me knows that I'm a hope guy. You know, even now, I'm, I've been trying to process how do I find hope in Hugh Jackson returning next year? Because it sounds like that's, you know, the reality of it is going to be that he's back. How do I get hope with John Dorsey? All of that kind of stuff. That tends to be kind of my mantra is how do we find hope? And I think when you look at the players, it isn't really that they've given up in games or even last week in Chicago. You can just see that deflated sense of we're not going to win this game. I'm going to try really hard but we're not going to win this game. And I think that just kind of bleeds over into everything. And even to the point that I would say, you know, any article that I wrote for the OBR over the past, I don't know, six, seven weeks, really every response has been, that's terrible. That's terrible. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. I wrote two mock drafts this week, significantly different from each other and got very little positive feedback. It's almost as if the fans just don't see hope that no matter what decisions are made, even with all of those draft picks, the fans along with the players have just kind of given up. And it's a really weird place to be for a fan base that's so rabid and so excited generally about at least the off season and the start of the next season for them to be so down on almost everything. Uh, well, thanks. I hope the listenership will be good during the off season, Jared. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I kind of, I, I mean, I get where they're coming from. I mean, it, it, it's, I think it's sad when, the fans 
think more of the roster than the guys who were paid to assemble the roster, than the guy who's paid to coach the roster. And, and that's, a, that's a terrible point here. And look, anybody who's upset about the parade, and look, I understand what he's doing. And look, he's having a little fun with it. And that's all good. But, you know, don't be upset at him. Be upset what's going on in the offices. That's what you need to be upset with because this team should be better. Um, you don't go 37 passes in the snow against the Chicago Bears when you were running the living daylights out of the ball. Uh, Isaiah Crowell, you know, everybody, you know, look, I, when I first started here, I was down on Isaiah Crowell. He was not playing well at the time. You want to know what? Isaiah Crowell is going to pull his car out of that out of the team facility on Monday a hundred million miles an hour, you know, screaming, Jesus, Lord, I've been freed. And I can't blame him. I can't blame him. The guy should be an 1,100, 1,200-yard back. Other teams in the NFL, they see this, you know, regardless of, you know, the fact that he lacks a little vision. I get it. I truly get it. It's it's so mind-boggling that, and look, you know, I, I think every one of us to the point are numb. Yeah, Hugh's going to be here. Yeah, Hugh's going to be here. What you have to do is you have to dumbify this roster. You have to make this roster so deep with $100 million in cap space, so deep with 12 draft choices, that not even an idiot can screw it up. And, yes, I'm talking to the, the idiot who is the head coach that runs this team. Uh, guys, <laughs> obviously we're listening to Locked On Browns here. Uh, now would be a great time to go ahead and subscribe. Make sure you leave that five-star review. Uh, you know, obviously the, uh, the originator to the newcomer, but please, guys, we appreciate your support in that aspect. Jared, we're going to move on here. Um, I don't necessarily want to do team awards. Because uh, if you're 0-16, let's be honest, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not giving out participation trophies. Um, I want to do some bright spots. I'll give you this first. Offense. Somebody this year that you want to know what you looked at and you're like, you want to know what, in the midst of it all, this guy showed up every week and played his tail off. You know, I think it's probably – People are going to say what they're going to say about this answer, but David Njoku uh, has had a great season for a rookie tight end. Um, in an absolute bad spot. Absolutely. In a terrible spot. But the reality is, is that most rookie tight ends don't produce well. It's one of the hardest positions to adjust to in the NBA. You know, statistically, um, I did a, a rookie expectations piece for the Orange Brown Report at the beginning of the season and really tried to kind of temper those expectations because rookie tight ends just tend to struggle. But what I saw from him, um, you know, the first eight weeks really struggled blocking, uh, drops, those kind of things. Cause it looked like the game was going a million miles a minute. It really slowed down from his blocking improved something I didn't know if he would be willing and able to do. Uh, and so for me and Joku really was a bright spot because in an offense that has struggled to get Corey Coleman involved when he's been out there, has really struggled to get Josh Gordon involved when he's been out there. And Joku, Duke Johnson, those two have really been bright spots. I expected it out of Duke, though it'd be really nice to see him on the field a little bit more, maybe get the ball a little bit more. For Njoku, it was really nice to see a rookie really make an impact that, you know, rookies just don't make at that position. And so um, it's kind of a double benefit to me that um, it's been very clear that the Pittsburgh Steelers wanted to draft David Njoku. So anytime we can kind of stick it to them, um, you know, I'm all for that. And so really he's been kind of that bright spot for me so young um, and just really has um, done a lot more than I expected. So 30 receptions, almost 350 yards, four touchdowns, you know, that those don't sound like huge numbers, 
Um, but for a rookie tight end, really, I saw a lot of flashes from him, especially with some really bad quarterback play. And he wasn't, you know, this huge target monster, uh, getting a lot of snaps, getting a lot of balls thrown his way. Uh, so the numbers weren't going to be huge. And we know how inaccurate Deshaun Kaiser is. Absolutely. Um, you know, Deshaun, he won't be my guy here, but I mean, <laughs> I do want to give him, I, I do want to give him, you know, an attaboy. I mean, this was a terrible situation uh, as a, you know, a 21-year-old kid, a guy who declared early at a Notre Dame, um, basically went from a position of his father yelling at him his college career to moving into the position of now his stepdad is yelling at him in his <laughs> first year of his pro career, um, a no-win situation. Um, I think he's, I'm not going to go play-wise, but I'm going to go with I think he's handled himself well. He goes up there, he takes his bullets every week. I'm sure if you ever got him with a couple of belts in him alone on a Saturday night at about 1230, he would just empty the chamber about, you know, how he's been treated over the last, you know, 18 months or whatsoever, which is more than more than okay. But I I think he's held up well the fact that he's here every week standing up. I mean, the Detroit game, which was a winnable game, got knocked out. I mean, a lot of guys, what am I, I'm going to come back to this, got up, finished that game for his teammates. I, I think... I think his teammates think more than the fans and the coaching staff do about it, and that's what you want to see. Um, obviously, look, there's going to be competition, a lot of competition brought in here for him, so I do want to give Deshaun an attaboy. Uh, Duke Johnson. Duke was a guy I loved a few years ago coming out of Miami. Wasn't so thrilled about him landing here in Cleveland. Um, just gets it done when the ball's in his hands. Was one of the bright spots last Sunday yet again. Um, the fact that now... He may, tra- for the third year in a row, he's going to see less touches. Is just absolutely mind-boggling. And yes, again, Jimmy Haslam, look at your head coach, one of your best offensive players, not a guy who was suspended for three years, not a guy who was injured for eight weeks. Again, this is the guy that is not being used and is mas- basically your best offensive chess piece. So, but Duke Johnson, uh, you know, we're not giving out MVPs. We don't give out the, the uh, participation trophies to 0-16, guys. But Duke Johnson, you know what, man? And you want to know what? I think you said what every Cleveland Brown fan wanted to hear or see <laughs> the other day when you were asked, should you stay? And that little head nod, oh, don't ask me. But you want to know what? The little body language spoke volumes. Duke Johnson, appreciate that. Defensively, uh, look – this was, I mean, for the first eight, nine weeks, this was a really, really impressive group. Uh, I, I, Greg Williams, I understand what you're doing. I'm playing to hold the field goals. I'm playing to hold the field goals because this team can't score touchdowns. I get it, but don't go away from what made you, and that's you know kind of what hurt me with Greg Williams. But Jared, go ahead. Uh, you know, give me your, uh, give me your guy, the the bright spot on defense. The guy who's, you know, showed you something and you want to see more of going further. You know, for me, it's actually been Larry Ogunjobi. Um, It's just a really interesting prospect. I love his story. So as a mental health professional, you know, anybody that kind of overcomes things, that tells you all about their kind of internal drive. And only about a quarter of the people in the world are internally driven. And so it's very clear that he is to go from overweight and playing video games to really just throwing guys around in the middle of the line. It's one of the the toughest things to really evaluate for the common fan uh, and even analysts alike is that interior defensive lineman. How do they play? How do they play well? Unless they're really, you know, getting after the quarterback, those kind of things. But when I look at him, I, I get a lot of hope that um, if the Browns let Danny Shelton go, which is a possibility next year uh, after 
the year after, um, that they still have a lot of good beef kind of up front, just just a lot of excitement out of a third rounder. That you know the numbers aren't going to say much. Sixteen tackles, whoop de doo, one sack. Um, but when you see him really physically dominating players coming out of a lower end school, those kind of things, I think for me, you know, that's an exciting kind of player. Especially when I look at a roster, and I'm going to ask you a question after you tell me your guy, but when I look at a defensive roster where I like a lot of the players, there are players up and down, bringing Body Calhoun, Colin, Shelton, uh, Ogunjobi, obviously Emmanuel Agba and Miles Garrett, um, Jabril Peppers, Caleb Brentley. There's just a lot of names, Joe Schobert, Christian Kirksey. There's a lot of guys on that roster that I like on the defensive side of the ball. Ogunjobi really kind of stood out to me. Um, in that he really was flashing for a young guy, again, coming out of a smaller school, takes a little bit of time to adjust. He was a man among men this season when he got out on the field uh, during his rotation. Um, and I, I've gone to this. Uh, I see I see some baby Warren Sapp in him, and the good kind, the on-the-field kind, not the jackass that Warren Sapp <laughs> has turned into as his you know, career is wherever it is now. Um, but he doesn't know what he's doing. But I mean, when you see you know when you see interior linemen get dropped back because he can club them in the chest and drop them back, when you see heads snapping back because that's how hard he hits these guys, you know you've got something special. Um, I, I don't see Danny Shelton seeing a second contract. I agree with you there. You have Larry, you got Brantley, you got Coley. Uh, Coley. That's going to be something you're probably going to move on for because you know you can only really you're only going to pay one interior guy a significant amount of money. And you know Larry's ceiling looks to be that that good. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned BBC, uh, Body Calhoun, fantastic. I will go ahead. Burgess for me was the guy. Um, mm. Right around Jet Jet Week is, and that's when uh, his first start. Obviously, when uh, Colin, uh, Jamie Collins was dealing with the concussions, just caught my eye. You know, I, the undersized, smaller linebacker willing to commit. And then again, last Sunday against the Bears, he was all over the field. He's a guy, I think he still needs secondary pieces, but I, I think it's you're in a really good spot when you've got your front seven. And it's not just your front seven. It's rotational within that front seven. So you're 12, you're 13, you're 14 deep. Um, you know, obviously with Peppers and Kindred, you know, maybe you start to be smart enough to use one of those two in a nickel or dime linebacker situation where you get faster in that spot where these guys can chase down, where a Schobert can't and things of that nature. But there's a lot of good on this defense. I don't think it needs nearly the assistance the offense needs. But I would go with Burgess. And, you know, I liked him years ago at Louisville. Obviously, he was a late bloomer. You know, obviously, you know, did, did make his first NFL team. Cleveland was able to scoop him in. And here's a guy who's probably going to, you know, find himself a home here for a little while with Cleveland. Yeah, and I think there's a – I mean, it just – it points to kind of my question. I think on offense, we all think the Browns should run the ball a lot more often make some easy reads, get some rub routes, those kind of things. I think we all kind of have an idea of what we think the offense could have looked like and should have looked like. But I think for me, what I'd love to hear from you is when you look at all the talent that is on the defense and obviously some limitations, how would you have, if you were the defensive coordinator, how would you have tried to uh, play with, with the kind of the chess pieces that they had on defense? Because we know what Greg Williams did with the Angel and uh, some random blitzes and playing the DBs off. How would this defense have looked if you were in charge of it? I, I would have liked to have seen a more aggressive approach because you want to know what, once you got to the point where it was 0-7, 0-8, look, the writing was on the wall. This team was not going to be a playoff team. It was not going to be a contender. So you want to know what, 
go to what these guys do better. And look, you could have rotated Kindred and Peppers and, you know, keep them 10, 12 yards off the ball and say, look, just get right into your read step right away. Look, if it's a run play, these 10 guys got it. I don't need you to attack it if it's a run play. Uh, you know, I would have liked to see Peppers blitz more. I would have liked to see Kindred blitz more. Go to a, a space where you bring in the house. You want to know what? If you're going to lose, get some shots in. Get some licks in. Lay some people out. I mean, at least start to give. And the D is the D was good, and the D is good. But start to give it some identity. Like, look, you know, you're going to play the Cleveland Browns. You better watch yourselves. You, you're going to win a game. But you may get your teeth knocked out. And that's part of the problem that I had with it. It was just, you know, when they went with the ultra-passive, aggressive, and you took away from McCourty, who was probably your best defensive player for the first month or so. And, you know, if you're watching on a 30-inch TV, you don't even see the quarterbacks. You didn't even <laughs> see them. And that was the part that drove me, you know, the fact that Greg Williams went to a passive-aggressive approach. And now this is a guy who was suspended for a year. I mean, you know, suspended for his comments while he was down in New Orleans. It was like, wow, this is so bad. You know, I mean, he basically neutered Greg Williams. And that was the part that was so frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand it. I think even just certain plays, third and four, and you're seven, ten yards off. Um, I think if you if you just at a minimum press – um, you know, reroute the receivers, those kind of things. At least you affect the timing. But it was pretty clear over the last five to six, seven games that teams knew exactly what was going to happen, and they just the quarterback took the snap, whether under center or in the shotgun, turned, looked, threw the ball to wide open players, and really the toughest decision was: Do I want to go left? Do I want to go right? Or do I want to wait a couple extra seconds because you're going to have a defensive tackle trying to drop into coverage on a tight end and not going to come anywhere near them. And so, you know, on offense, there was definitely limitations with drops and with Kaiser. On defense, I think that's where my frustration with lack of turnovers, lack of sacks, lack of just getting off the field really came into play because you see the talent, you see the ability there. And I think just some very simple plays, simple changes could have made a significant difference. The big question, whether it's Peppers or Kaiser or you know any number of these players, does this year practicing what you're bad at, so for Peppers, coverage was not his strength, and Kaiser, deep ball and every, a lot of things weren't his strength. So let's let him throw the ball a lot and let him play coverage a lot. The only real hope there is, did they get better just because they had to because Kaiser was throwing the ball 30 to 40 times a game and Peppers was back in, and watching coverage because he really wasn't involved in a lot of plays. He was watching coverage a lot. Did, did he get better just did they get better just from being forced into situations that they weren't that good at, even if it wasn't better for the team? No, I agree. And uh, guys, one more time, Locked On Browns, episode 142. Jared Mueller started your uh, season here 2017. I've taken over. I'm closing it. But uh, any of my Cleveland guys, check out Locked On Cavaliers. Chris Manning does a fantastic job over there. LeBron's 33rd birthday. Happy birthday to the King. Uh, it's not looking too promising for another finals appearance, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, obviously the guys are playing hard. Now, obviously, Jared, the way you brought it up, uh, you know, brought up a lot of excellent points, but we have to look to the future here. There's just <laughs> no way around it here. Uh, you have $100 million in cap space. You have the 12 draft choices. Give me – Let's not, we won't go into names because, good Lord knows, we have four months for that. <laughs> uh, we can go to positions. W- what do you think needs to – and even if, it's a, even if it's a positive, there's really nothing that can be ignored when you have this type of capital. 
you just continue to add and you know take a strength and make it a mega strength. But but where would you like to see some of all of these assets allocated to? I think you you have to address the quarterback position. Um, I think the interesting thing with John Dorsey is he's not really beholden to any of these players. And so whether that's Miles Garrett, Emmanuel Ogba, uh, I think if I had to put money on something right now, I would probably bet money on Bradley Chubb being the most likely player to be in Cleveland next year. Obviously, if the Browns trade down or you look at what he the gets taken. Did. You look at what yeah. the Chiefs did. Obviously, you know, they had uh, the kid from Penn State. I always mess up his name, but had Justin Houston, then took Ford out of Auburn. It's something that they've always, he's always wanted and wanted in depth. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. But if I'm if I'm making choices for me, uh, Crowell I know is gone, and so on the offensive side of the ball, I'm really looking for a a bell cow running back, and I'm looking for a wide receiver who can kind of do a lot of things. Um, when I look at wide receiver, I value w- players that can have shorter or quickness, run routes, and catch the ball. After that, I care about size and I care about straight line speed. And so uh, for me, I'm looking for just someone that a that a quarterback can rely on on a regular basis. Um, I think the Kelvin Benjamins of the world have a place, but if you're going to have a young quarterback drafted number one, you need to bring in a wide receiver who can make some explosive plays, but who is going to catch the ball. It's going to be where he needs to be, those kind of things. On the defensive side of the ball, I actually like our cornerbacks more than most people do. I think Mike Jordan can be good. He's got some things to develop. Um, Obviously, Jason McCourty is older. Uh, I think if Greg Williams is sticking around, I think Tremaine Johnson is a free agent look. Um, But really, it's free safety. Um, Most people don't see that as a premium position. Obviously, it's a lot lower than quarterback, left tackle, pass rusher, those kind of things. But for me, a free safety really changes a defense. It allows a defensive coordinator to do a lot of different things. And I think really, if we only had one pick uh, after the quarterback, so two picks, um, for me, it'd be a free safety, whether that's Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, Armani Watts is a player to look at a little bit later, uh, maybe in the second round, third round. Um, but really, it's that free safety position that I think is missing. And I think it really scares Greg Williams a lot, whether or not he's going to go in that direction or uh, John Dorsey sees that is going to be a different conversation. Yeah, and that's the thing. Obviously, you know, you see how much Greg Williams values it because of the way he was positioned these guys, understanding, you know, quickly that these guys do not fill that need at the free safety position. There are guys who can help that. Um, if you want to go mink it, that's fine. That's, I have zero issues with that. Um, there's, you know, certain ways to look at it. You know, do you get into a Kirk Cousins market where you can go get two more players with one and four, or you drop from one because you don't have to draft the quarterback there. You can draft yet another quarterback. There's a lot of scenarios to be played out. We'll see how it all works out. Uh, for me, I think you have to, you have to bring in a wide receiver with big substance. Because, you know, as much as we all love Josh Gordon, as much as we know the talent that he brings, Josh Gordon is zero in the reliability. <laughs> I mean, it, it's okay. I mean, it is. You know, I have a brother who I have a brother who's got issues similar to Josh Gordon. I get it. You deal with the good and you bet good and the bad. But the thing is, is my brother doesn't become ineligible for life if he f- screws up or if he falls off the wagon. Josh Gordon screws up, he's gone. Corey Coleman. I do love Corey Coleman. He was my top wide receiver of that class. But now we're talking two seasons in a row where you had a huge, huge gap of him being injured. If anything happens, or God forbid both happens, you're now back to the Bryce Treggs, the Sammy Coases, 
And I don't care who the quarterback is. If those are your guys that you're working with, the wide receiver, you're in deep, deep trouble. You're not going to survive on the fact that you got two decent pass receiving tight ends. That's not going to carry you over a six, seven week stretch. Defensively, I think you need to add yet another pass rusher. And the D line is strong. They collapse the pocket, but you need more guys that can get home. You've seen Ogba can kick inside. You've seen Miles Garrett can kick inside and nickel and dime type of things. You need straight pass rushers that can get home and create havoc. So that's that's probably where some of this needs to be put. Uh, you're going to bring in a cornerback either through free agency or the, through the draft because when you have that type of capital and those asset, you know those assets to use, those are the positions you hit. Um, you know, McCourty, it's probably. I would say it most likely would be his last year. You know, you're not going to re-sign a quarterback after next year at 31, uh, 31, almost 32 years old. But those are the things you need to do. It's terrible because the guys in the office think this is a lot worse than I think the roster is, and a lot of the fans do. So it's tough to deal with it that way. Yeah, uh, but I think I think you ahead. bring up kind of an interesting thing when you talk about Kirk Cousins is for the Browns, Are is John Dorsey looking to compete right away? Or... Sashi Brown's goal was to compete long term. And I think that could really be an interesting dynamic this offseason is, is Dorsey going to kind of push his cards in, but in a way that really sets up uh, for winning now, but maybe not winning big. And I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch, you know, whether that means signing Kirk Cousins, whether that means trading away picks for veterans signing veterans to big contracts. I think for me, that's going to be the real interesting kind of dynamic to look at. Obviously, Hugh Jackson doesn't have long. So does really that youth movement kind of get scrapped? You know, do some of those young players that Sashi Brown and Andrew Barry brought in, do those guys get sent off? A lot of things that are kind of being built, are those going to be gone? Or have they just been saying crap? You know, they just been saying, we don't like this roster, blah, blah, blah. I'm really intrigued to see what they decide to do there. Well, I think, you know, you look at with the Alex Smith move to Kansas City and you wonder if, you know, if Kurt Cousins would be willing to go to Cleveland, I think you have to entertain it. And it's not a knock on this class because I, I love this quarterback class. I think every one of them, you know, have the ways that they win. But the thing is, do you want to, now you look at Hugh, who, who did well with Andy Dalton. I mean, well, in they reached the playoffs and that is well, that is really good for Cleveland. They, he made the playoffs with Andy Dalton, with a guy like Kirk Cousins. You now you bring him in. Now that's, you know, you can draft a quarterback. You don't have to draft him at one. You don't have to draft him with the Houston pick. Maybe you can draft another one. But that all of a sudden, now it's you know now you're just adding pieces and you know, so it's an interesting way to go and look at it. Whether or not Kirk Cousins wants to do it, whether or not the Browns would be willing to spend that money, that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> but. It's an interesting domino to, to think about it. If you could get that to fall, and then you still have the cap money, you still have the picks, uh, you look at a guy like, say, Eli Apple from the Giants, you'd probably be had for a day three pick. You know, mm -hmm. He excelled better far away from home in Ohio than he did New Jersey. Once he got back to New Jersey, there's a guy, you know, and even still, 22 years old, you go send away a you know fourth, fifth round pick for him to come in. I mean, there's just so much, and that's this is why I love this part of the year. There's so many ways this can go, and of course, when you're a team like Cleveland, a lot of it comes down to whether or not a guy is going to say yes or no to you and take the <laughs> rose and come be part of it. But there's a lot that can be done here. So 
I do like that part of it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Dorsey handles this. Um, obviously, the front office pre uh, previously, they were a little bit more conservative as far as guys with off-field issues. You know, there's guys in this class that I know would have been knows, you know, a, a Jordan Whitehead probably. Uh, a Victor Azim, the linebacker out of Washington, would have been knows to the old regime. It'll be interesting how Dorsey views them and their draft grade as opposed to where they are available. And he says, look, sometimes you just got to take the shot. If the guy screws up, the guy screws up. You know, obviously Tyreek Hill and guys of that nature panned out for him in Kansas City. So it's going to be fun. It's certainly going to be fun. It absolutely is. And I think that's where uh, I think that's where that hope starts to build back up. My um, daughter, my daughter's name. Ah, nice. And so I think, you know, that's we kind of move in that direction. I think, um, you know, whether that means an offensive coordinator's hired to give a little bit more oomph around the um, around the coaching staff. You know, I think Sashi Brown was building something based on the idea that generally free agents aren't going to want to come to Cleveland. So we need to kind of build it from within. I think John Dorsey seems to have a different idea. If you pay them, they will come. And so it'll be interesting if they can really do that this offseason. I mean, with as much money as they have, and this is, you know, Jared's dream world at some level, trying to figure out what John Dorsey likes. You know, could you bring in a Kirk Cousins, a Tremaine Johnson, and then my favorite wide receiver, Allen Robinson? You know, could you really bring in three studs and then you could do whatever you want? You know, I did a four round mock, assuming we signed Kirk Cousins and adding Bradley Chubb and Minka and couple of weapons like there's so many options out there the question really is is a can dorsey get dorsey and hugh jackson who players seem to like as a coach or as a person can they get players to come to cleveland because that's something sashi brown kind of acted like he didn't believe would happen or are they going to kind of hold the course and just kind of keep building something yeah i i think you, you look the you cannot, with the amount of cap space they have, address it. It, it. You just absolutely have to. And look, if it comes down to an extra $5 million for somebody, and look, it, John, it's not your money. It's Jimmy Haslam's. <laughs> and everybody, you know, John Dorsey could be fired tomorrow. Uh, apparently Hugh couldn't, but everybody, you are on a moment's notice. So you need to do what you do, and you need to dummy-proof this team if your head coach is a dummy. And I don't know. I just think you have the opportunity to do that. And it just stinks that all of us sit here with the relevation that a guy who went 1-31 in is still got the keys to the building. It's just rough from that standpoint. Uh, Jared, any parting shots before we go? And look, once again, before you go, I want to thank you for the support. Uh, I want to thank you for helping me getting this and getting this thing growing. I appreciate that. Hey, not a problem, man. It's good to see you kind of take uh what was really a solo act uh of all jared all the time and really you've brought in some great voices um i think browns fans the more and more they can get smart people talking about football uh and hear those things over and over again um i think that's really going to believe kind of lead down a road where uh there's there's a need for change in cleveland sports media or i'm sorry brown sports media Cavs have a great set of media people. Indians have a great set of media people. The Browns organiz- uh, kind of media people, the beat really needs new voices. I think you've done a really good job of bringing in something new. And so, you know, for me, I really appreciate all the new that you've brought in, all the people you've been able to bring in uh, to, to inform my former audience. 
and obviously just to keep Browns fans informed. So I appreciate you know all that you've done. I'll leave this just uh, because I've known about it for two years, and so I've put it up for the Orange and Brown Report, but I'll say it to you now. Uh, just um, don't always assume that things can't change. Uh, Jimmy Haslam's ownership of the Cleveland Browns is not set in stone. The FBI is still coming for him. Just keep that on your radar, folks. <laughs> now, I want to ask you this. Um, how am I doing? I think you're doing well. I think I really do. I think you're tapping into um, a unique viewpoint of getting a lot of people involved. Um, and your knowledge of, of, of football is really, really there. So that's good. But I think you've really um, engaged the Browns community to understand what makes us tick. Um, while also bringing in a lot of experts to really help um, the, deepen the knowledge. Um, and then obviously you just have some interesting people, you know, like Stephen Thomas um, or Pete Smith, who uh, have some very unique perspectives. And so I think um, I think you've done a really good job of both bringing your voice, but not depending on that, which uh, I struggled with. So uh, I appreciate kind of that balance because I think um, it just it really uh, steps things up for other people uh, covering the game. I appreciate that, Jared. Uh, guys, Locked On Browns, episode 142. Um, there was no better way to bring, uh, ring in the new year than with Jared, who's already on this journey, and me finishing it with you. Um, it's been tough. Uh, obviously, no one was expecting 0-16, which is, you know, look, and it doesn't matter. A win tomorrow would be fantastic because it's not going to change anything. <laughs> the, guy, the guys in that locker room, they will be ecstatic with a win. So that's, you know, yes, obviously we're all hoping for it. But it, it, it's been a tough ride, and I understand where you guys are coming from. And the one thing that I've kind of learned in my two-plus months being here is everyone always told me, Ohio, they know their football. And that's one thing that I'm starting to learn, and you know, I'm, I'm truly grasping. You guys know your football, and I understand why you guys feel like you deserve better, because you do. I, I truly get that. Um, so for Jared Mueller and like, obviously, you know, Jared, let them know where they can find all your good stuff at. Absolutely. You can go to the OBR, the orange and Brown report been around for a long time, originally Bernie's insiders. And so, uh, we have insiders, Ben Albright, uh, Tony Pauline, Brent Soboleski, Lane Atkins, and then myself, Bob Evans, uh, Fred Greetham is on the ground. He's a part of our beat. Uh, so we got you covered there. Uh, and then you can find me on Twitter at Jared K Mueller. That's J A R E D. K-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Uh, so for Jared, for me, guys, first things first, uh, regardless of football, for, regardless of anything, Happy New Year. We wish everybody the best for 2018. Obviously, 2017, you know, I, I don't get into politics, but it's been tough for everybody. Look, we just keep hoping. Love your family. Hope for the best. You know, keep everybody working your tails off. Work for everything that everybody wants. Uh, I wish you all the Happiest of New Year's. Uh, we'll try to get a post-game show tomorrow. I should be able to get that in. Uh, but I, I, it's been a pleasure to, to start this journey with you. We're going to hit 2018 on Monday. Uh, I have some fantastic stuff for the offseason. I have plenty of people willing to come on. We're, we're going we're gonna to do a lot of football. We're going to do a lot more just you know things within football, things within reporting, things about talking about the game. You guys are going to love every minute of it. Jared, I appreciate the support. I appreciate you coming here, coming on here this evening. Uh, I'm going to close with this one. We usually close with Go Browns. Guys, Happy New Year. Love you all. Appreciate the support. 
and we will talk to you all soon.